0: Well, hey guys, happy Sunday in July. It is so great to see you today. My uh, my hope for you is that you're doing really, really well. My name is Clay Monkus and I get the honor of being the lead pastor here at Next Level. And even if we've never met, uh, I just want you to know that I am really, really glad that you have chosen to be with us today. And today we're continuing our series, Theology Matters. And in it, we've been trying to clear up some confusion around this big, important topic of salvation. And if you go back, All the way a couple of weeks ago in week one, Joseph talked about how this thing called salvation is much more than just a one-time experience, that that there is this walking it out in a continual process. And then last week, uh, Doug showed us how our salvation in Jesus was really a progression from what God started in the Old Testament, and how the Law of Moses was just this temporary thing that prepared us for the work that Jesus was coming to do. So today, what I want to do is continue on that topic of salvation and see if I can bring even more detail to the picture that we've been and painting in this series. Now, if you grew up in America, you have no doubt heard this word right here. Saved, right? We have all heard that word, especially as it's related to Christianity. And it is probably one of the most overused words in the modern Christian church. And sadly, it's probably one of the most misunderstood words inside of our current culture. And there was a point in our at least our culture's history, uh, where the word saved had real meaning. But today, the word saved tends to mean something different probably to every other person who says it or hears it. For some of you, the word saved is just this weird word that your Christian friends use, and you know that they want you to do it, but you're just not kind of sure that you want to, or maybe you're not even sure what it really is, right? And for some of us, It's a word that's been overused to the point that it can really be mocked, right? You do something crazy and something nuts, and you go, Oh, no, I guess I need to be saved, right? For most of us, it's just a misunderstood word. Because in the last 30 or 40 years, we have reduced the word saved... To something, if I'm honest, I don't believe God ever intended it to be. We reduce the word saved to a prayer. That if I must be saved, all I have to do is pray this little prayer, and then I get a a get-out-of-hell-free card. right? I've been in services where they scare people, and then they ask, anyone here that doesn't want to go to hell, I want you to raise your hand. Well, who wouldn't do that, right? For some of us. What happens, because we don't understand this concept, is every time we ask people to get saved, maybe we get saved again and again because I just want to make sure. And here's what I think has happened. I think the word saved has been so overused it's lost its meaning. And over time, it's taken on a new meaning. Like words would do this all the time. The word fantastic, centuries ago, it meant existing only in one's imagination. But today, it means something's really incredible. That's fantastic. There's other words like hacking or hookup or even tool. They all had completely different meanings just 20 years ago than what they have today. And something similar, I think, has happened to the word saved. In the 50s and 60s, when this word really became popular and kind of came on the scene, people responded and their lives were truly changed and transformation happened. Like whole communities were changed and churches were changed and marriages and families were changed. Addictions were, were kicked. But now, 60 or 70 years removed from that time, it's just another word. It's just a thing that I hope that my children do so I don't have to worry about them if they drop out of church. It's just a thing that I said I did, but I never really changed the way I live. So we say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. But when God uses the word saved in Scripture, he means something very specific. And that's what we're going to unpack this week. And then I'm going to continue this a little bit next week with kind of a part two of this. And here's the thing I want you to hear. Because this is the bottom line of this topic. Salvation is simple, but the process may not be easy. Okay? Salvation, it really is simple, it's not that hard to understand, but the ongoing process of salvation may not be very easy because it forces us to address some of our own self-centeredness. It runs against our fierce independence. It makes us admit that there is someone who knows what is actually right and true more than we know. Have you ever encountered something that appeared to be simple, but the process of completing it was not easy? Okay? Maybe you have. If you have ever assembled any piece of furniture from Ikea, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or if you have ever had one simple part on your car break, but to fix it, they have to take down the whole engine. Simple, but not easy. What we're going to see when we look at one simple verse today is in this verse is a very simple truth that may not be all that easy for all of us to implement. But it is in the action of implementing the truth of this verse that we find salvation. Thus we are saved. We're going to be looking at a verse in the book of Romans and we're going to read the whole verse and then what we're going to actually do is work backwards from back to front. And this is what it says, right? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If, right, big if statement. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, right? say this next word there. If you declare that Jesus is Lord and, and that's a very important word, and we're going to come back to that in a moment, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what Paul is saying is really simple to understand. But the process of doing it may not be that easy. So let's work backwards. First, What in the heck does this word saved mean? As I said before, we've all heard people use it as in, are you saved or you need to be saved? And in our current culture, it is so misunderstood that I think we avoid it or we're even scared of using it or talking about it. But here is literally what that word means. That word in the Greek, the Greek word for that is sozo. And what this word literally means is to be rescued from great peril. Now, when the Bible was written, this wasn't a spiritual word at all. We have spiritualized the word say, but in this context, it is not a spiritual word first. It was a physical word first, and it was to be rescued from great peril. I'm going to ask you a weird question, right? To just kind of connect the dots. How many of you have some form of a weird, irrational death fear? My irrational death fear is falling over the rail from a tall building. I'm just totally (laughs) afraid of that. So what this word is saying is if I'm ever at the top of a very tall building and someone is there to push me over and there's nothing I can do about it, what I need in that moment is to be sozos, to be rescued from great peril. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever watched the show River Monsters, but the very first episode is about piranha. And this crazy man has a, has a hypothesis that piranha will not eat humans. And so he decides to test it. And he takes 100 piranha and he puts them in a pool. He even pours blood into the pool. And what he does next is just absolutely crazy. Watch this. Now I have to tell you, when he gets in the pool with the piranha, I was like, you are about to need to be sozos. You are about to need to be rescued from great peril. And in the context, Paul uses this word, the people understood what it meant to be rescued from a great perilous situation. So when Paul began to write about it in a spiritual context, they understood what it meant. They understood that Jesus died so that I could be sozo. So Jesus died that I could be rescued from great peril. They understood that we are born into great peril. We are born into sin, a world where we are separated from God, a world that will devour us, a world where we have been separated from our Heavenly Father in all the purpose that He has for us, a world where we are spiritually dead. We are born into a situation where if we are not sozos, We are not going to be rescued from that perilous state, and we will live separated from God. So what Paul says here is, no, 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 no. Wait, something has occurred, something that can sozo you. It will be something to rescue you from great peril. Not physically speaking, but spiritually. And here's the thing. There is absolutely nothing that you or I can do to earn the right to be sozo's. It's a gift that we accept, and we begin to unpack what Paul said. We can live this out as truth. right? We do none of the rescuing. All that we do is call out to the rescuer. So let's keep working backwards from there, right? So you can be saved. Then the scripture says, Believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Okay, so the first thing going backwards is we must believe. We're going to talk about that next week a little more. But what must we believe? Not that Jesus was born on Christmas. Not that Jesus was a good guy who preached some good things. Not that he was a prophet. Not that uh, he preached some, some radical kind of stuff. Not that he was a great leader. Paul says the thing that you must believe is that God raised him from the dead. Now, belief is a fundamental element in any relationship. I mean, if I'm going to have a good marriage with my wife, I must believe she loves me. If I don't believe that she loves me, the whole relationship begins to erode. And similarly, with our relationship with God, it is built on a foundation of belief. And what he tells us that we must believe is that God raised Jesus from the dead. So the question is, why is that the most important thing to believe about Jesus? Why why did God pick that? God could have used anything in that verse, but he didn't. All right, He could have said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was Messiah, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was a healer, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was born of a virgin, there's a lot of things that he could have said, but he said, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why? Well, the reason that I believe God chose that is because this is what proves that Jesus is who he said he was. Think about this for a minute. If a man can predict his death, how he's going to die, who's going to do it, and then predict that he'll raise again on the third day, and it all comes true, I would say that that man must be who he said he was, and I'm going to follow the man who predicts his own death, burial, and resurrection, and pulls it off. I'm following him all day long. Paul tells us the fundamental piece of the gospel message is that Jesus was who he said he was, that that he is God's perfect son sent down to an imperfect world to purchase our freedom, to purchase our salvation, to be our rescuer. If we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. But we can't stop there, right? That's not all that Paul says. Right before that phrase is the little word and. What does that mean? It tells us that there is something else that goes into the equation. This and that. And what I'm afraid has happened here in the Bible Belt in American Christianity is that we have forgotten the first half of this verse. The first half of this verse tells us the simple step to know that I am saved. And what we're told is that we should just be believers, right? Just believe and you'll be saved, but that's not all there is. Paul in Romans 10, 9 is telling us belief is not enough. Belief is just a piece of the puzzle. It's a fundamental building block, but it's just a piece of the puzzle. What he says in the very beginning of this verse, let's go back, let's look at this. If you, if you what? If you openly declare that Jesus is what? Lord, if you believe. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. So Paul is saying that this is a two-part equation. It's belief plus lordship. Some of your translations may say, if you confess with your mouth. There again, the Greek is, is better translated to this idea of a public declaration. Not a little confession. Not I'm going to be silent to myself. I'm going to confess what I believe. This is an outward declaration that people look at my life and they can tell that Jesus is Lord. Now, we need to talk about this for a moment. That word Lord is another one that's been hijacked by our generation, right? Because we say it. When we're in churches, we say it, we sing it, we read it. We just think it's another word. But the Greek word Lord here means this, absolute ownership, absolute ownership. When we see that word in Scripture, when we see that word on a screen during a song, I want you to remember what it literally means is absolute ownership. The verse says here, If I openly declare that to all the world that Jesus owns me absolutely and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. See, that's the simple step. But it's not easy for us to say and mean, Jesus, you can have absolute ownership of my life. Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord. Jesus, you can have every part of me. Jesus, I am surrendering to your way of operating, to your way of seeing things. That's hard. What's easy is saying, Jesus, you can take my sin, and you can own that. Jesus, you can take my problems. You can take my guilt. Jesus, you can take my shame. That's all important stuff, but let's be honest. That's easy. But saying, Jesus, you can have absolute ownership of my entire life, that's not easy. I have people ask me pretty regularly, you know, every day I'm finding out things that I need to give God control of. Does that mean I'm not saved? Well, no, wait. (laughs) This isn't a legalistic kind of rule-keeping thing. What God is talking about here is a surrender of the heart. Jesus, I want to be sozo by you. I want to be rescued by you. I am crying out for help. All right? Okay. He says, here's how you'll know that you're there. When you believe that I was raised from the dead and when you allow me to own your heart, when you allow me to show you all the places you need to surrender to me and you surrender it, that's when you know that you are saved. And this dialogue with God, it happens to me All of the time. Almost every week I find myself saying, you know what God, I got this. And God convicts me and says, are you going to let me to own that? Are you going to let me own that? Will you let me own your hopes? Will you let me own your dreams? Will you let me own your fears and failures? Will you let me own your family? Will you let me own that relationship decision? Will you let me own your finances? Will you let me have absolute ownership? Will you let me be your Lord? And that's hard. Billy Graham once said this. He said, My great fear for the American church is that people have trusted Jesus as Savior, but very few have trusted Him as Lord. The Scripture tell us over and over that belief is not enough without Lordship. When the two are put together, there can and will be an absolute assurance that I have been sozost, I have been rescued, I have been saved. And next week, we're going to wrap up with a theological concept that if you feel stuck, this is what's going to help you unstuck. We're going to talk about it next week. But for now, as we wrap this up, I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about this simple verse that plainly says, if you will surrender to complete ownership and lordship of Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as you're thinking about that, I want you to spend a minute with God right now. I want you to ask him those two questions. I want you to consider these two things. Number one, do you believe with all of your heart that Jesus was who God said he was? That he was God's son? That, That he was perfect? That you were a sinner separated from God, born into a perilous state? That Jesus came to rescue you? He came to sozo you. He came to pay the price for you. He lived, he died, he raised again, and he is who he said he was. Do you believe that? I believe that probably most of the people who are watching this right now, you would answer that question, yes. The question for us now becomes the first part of that verse that we just shared. It's the simple part that's not so easy, and this is what it is. Have you surrendered total ownership to Jesus? Have you allowed him to completely come in and take over your life, or are there pieces that you keep holding back? And when you prayed that prayer, was it just a prayer to get Jesus as savior, or did you surrender your life as Lord? How do you know? How do you know if you've been saved? It's who do you live for? Do you continue to live for you, or did you begin to live for Jesus? And maybe right now, as you reflect in it, you're realizing, wow, I'm just living for me. I I live my own life. The person in complete ownership of my life is me. Therefore, it makes me my own Lord. And if that's you, I'm not going to beat you up over it. I'm actually going to celebrate that God is showing you something. I'm going to tell you that you can change that when you're ready to cry out for help. That your only role in this salvation is to cry out Jesus and say, I don't want to control this anymore. I don't want to own this anymore. I don't want to be my own Lord anymore because it doesn't work. Will you come rescue me from this peril that I'm in? So Jesus, I'm ready to give you my ownership of my life. You are my Lord, and today, if that's you, I want you to know that living with Jesus as your Lord, giving him total ownership, has been the best decision of my life. And would I would love for you to find the amazing life that I have found through the hard process of surrender. So we not just let the pride go and just simply confess, Jesus, I realize I've been owning me and now I give you ownership of me. Would you just tell him that? Thank him for saving you. Thank him for dying for you so that you could live. And if you're serious about those words, I want you to take the next step that Paul talks about of our declaration that Jesus is your Lord. Just tell someone today that you have completely surrendered your life to Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for every person here that's finding the extraordinary life that you give. May we grow deeper with you each and every day. Amen. Well, hey friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content as well as liking and subscribing to this channel, you are helping us as a church accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, if uh, you don't mind, if I could ask you to head over to our website at nextlevelchurch.org give choose one of those giving options there. Your faithful support helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, by way of benediction, let me read to you once again the words from Romans chapter 10, verse nine, where Paul says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. May you, this week, Declare that Jesus is Lord. May you invite him into an ever-increasing place of control in your life. And may you find a rich and satisfying life in doing so. Hey guys, have a blessed week. We'll see you every day on all of our social channels. If there's anything that we can be praying for you about, uh, just let us know through social or go to our website and click on the prayer box. Love you. See you back next week.